The Gays Against Guns Show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns Show. My name is Paul Rowley, and I am your host for this evening's show. We at Gays Against Guns are a direct action group of LGBTQ activists and our allies fighting to end the gun violence epidemic in this country. We talk a lot on this show about the intersection of access to guns and bigotry and also the epidemic of violence against the LGBTQ and black and brown communities, in particular trans women of colour. So this week we have a special focus on folk who are living their truth as trans individuals in Baltimore and have created an incredible organisation called Baltimore Safe Haven to provide vital, urgent support for trans folk living in survival mode. But first, some headlines from the gun violence news this week. The Trump administration lifted a ban on Friday on sales of silencers to private overseas buyers. This was championed by a lawyer for the president, Michael B. Williams, who, surprise, surprise, for two years, ran a gun lobby group focused on expanding sales of silencers by American manufacturers. I spoke with Gays Against Guns co-founder Kevin Herzog this morning. He told me that Pentagon officials warned against lifting this ban against silencers to foreign customers because they'll be used to kill Americans, which of course they will, because when you add a silencer, it's much harder to locate the source of the shooter. So basically, the Pentagon are worried because they're going to kill American soldiers. So as Kevin says, go ahead and celebrate gun culture and get those gun tattoos and Throw your hands up in the air and say there's nothing we can do about the gun violence problem of the US. But remember that the gun lobby works tirelessly to make sure that 40,000 Americans are killed each year by guns. A number that gets bigger each and every year. So now we can add Americans who are fighting abroad because they've just made it a lot easier to kill them too. But hey, job creation with the new demand for silencers. So yay. New York, as in many other parts of the country, is experiencing a real uptick in gun violence um, during this coronavirus pandemic. Yesterday, at least five people shot in Brooklyn by three drive-by shootings in Canarsie. The victims were shot in multiple locations. Uh, Police believe it was a single perpetrator. A 23-year-old woman shot four times in the chest. Twelve minutes later, three 19-year-old men. Two minutes later... Another 19-year-old man shot, and police believe the shootings were all targeted. This means that in the 24-hour period on Monday, 18 people were shot in 14 incidents across New York City. The violence came less than 24 hours after another shooting in Brooklyn that claimed the life of a one-year-old boy and left three others injured. Next week's show, we're focusing specifically on the uptick in local gun violence, so please do tune in for that. All our shows, as you know, are available on the BAI website to listen back to and all the major podcast platforms. But in regards to this uptick in violence, I want to read this Facebook post by Sonny Moon, who many of our listeners know, you know, is a regular contributor here to the show. Sonny is a medical doctor and a gag member and has been on the front lines of the COVID pandemic here in New York City. So we've heard her on the show many times these past few months. And you might also spot her on New York City streets shouting at cops to wear a damn mask. Uh, Sonny is a fierce queen as we say in gag this is what she wrote this morning it sure feels like everything is out of control new york city is grappling with a surge in gun violence and a one-year-old baby killed sunday night the surge in violence is unfortunately concentrated in communities already struggling with higher rates of covid and economic hardship 
Remember that other countries are not dealing with two public health crises totally out of control. In our country, the love of individualism has warped the idea of liberty and freedom to mean the right to be a selfish a-hole without having to worry about consequences or harm to others. So discussions about gun safety turn into ridiculous arguments about liberty and freedom. Also, a toxic hyper-masculine culture mixed with easy access to guns means that arguments end with gunfire. Between March and May of this year, there was a 64% increase in gun sales compared to the same period in previous years. That translates to 2 million excess gun sales in three months. And many of these legal guns then end up as illegal guns used in crimes just like this. Sonny says, it can get better. We must vote because the people who are in power now have always understood the power of the vote. This is why they fight so hard to suppress the vote. July 14th, Bastille Day, the Jour National des Fêtes en France, and this holiday that celebrates the storming of the Bastille, a military fortress and prison, an uprising that helped usher in the French Revolution, which, as we all know, was synonymous with the use of the guillotine. So, happy Bastille Day, folks. Wondering if we're going to see a return to guillotine times here in the United States once this criminal administration is removed from power. My name is Kathy Marino Thomas, and I listen to Radio Gag Weekly on Tuesday nights at 6.30. I listen to Radio Gag to get the most current news and outlook on the gun violence epidemic in America. I'm also a mom, and I appreciate WBAI's coverage of the current pandemic and school closing. Become a WBAI buddy. Thank you so much. And now for this week's special focus, Baltimore Safe Haven. Last Valentine's Day, myself and my hubby Jean spent the day with the wonderful folk at Baltimore Safe Haven, who took time out of their very busy schedule to talk with us. So listen and learn, people. Hi, I'm Aya Damon. I'm Baltimore Safe Haven's executive director and founder. I wanted to see community taken care of. So that's why I started Baltimore Safe Haven. I once stood on these same streets here in Charles Village, solicitating myself because I knew nothing about what it is to get a job. I didn't know what it was to have education and resources. So I set out to give community the same thing that I didn't have. You get what I'm saying? A sense of someone cares, someone matters, all of those things wrapped in once. My name is Josiah Damore. My pronouns are he, him, and king and I am a trans man. I'm a peer educator slash the security guard for the facility slash the facilities manager. Basically, I got a lot of hats to wear in order to ensure that the maintenance of the facility and the safety of both the clients and the staff is always upheld. I like teaching people about coping skills and self-awareness and positive affirmations, anything to keep an individual out of their head because you never know where somebody's mindset could be at. Hi, my name is Ariel Davis. I am one of the transitional house managers. And, you know, we're just located in the heart of the city. This is the this is known as the Stroll. This is known as Charles Street, Calvert Street, um, St. Paul. These, these, these are the Stroll Streets that the girls work at night. They're called the working girls. So they work the streets at nighttime to try to make money, to try to feed themselves, clothe themselves, and to get different places. 
um, it, it's a survival mode. Some, some, you know, if you never worked the street, you would not know nothing about survival mode. Baltimore has a high rating of violence, homelessness. There's like a lot of people need to come in who just want to come in to sleep for a while. You got a lot of the girls who work at night, so um, they can come and take a shower, probably get some clothing, something to put food on their stomach. Um, just they, they, you know, they might want to talk. They might want to get tested. They might want to get condoms. Or, or make phone calls, give them computers. Just not only the girls, we have the guys also who are actually at home. So we try to find them placement, try to find them places to go, and just hop out from there. My name is Molly. I go by Molly Devereaux. My PGPs are she, her, um, goddess, queen, sister, daughter of Oshan and Yamaya. Um, and I am the director of operations here at Baltimore Safe Haven. We're in the process of opening our transition house. So that is a venture that I'm really like focusing on right now because as a former homeless uh, LGBTQ youth who had to engage in survival sex work to get myself off the streets, um, housing is very, very important to me. Hello, I'm Omar West. Um, I'm the outreach coordinator for Baltimore Safe Haven. Basically, I do on-site Narcan training, and I also go out in the community and pass out safe sex kits to people that is in survival sex mode. Um, that's basically people that, like, that's out here doing work for their life. Like, they're not out here doing it for fun. They're out here doing it because they have to, because that's the only way they can live and the only way that they can make their money. Fridays and Saturday nights from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m., every Friday and Saturday. We used to do it more, but we had to cut back because um, we really don't have the funding to do it as much as we want to do. We really want to have a mobile outreach unit that runs every night because we have a 24-hour emergency um, line. You know, someone was just, like, put out there out of where they were staying. A girl just got attacked on the stroll. Like, I mean, common emergencies that would that you would typically hear in our community. So trauma has been a very big thing in this city of Baltimore, if it was overdoses or if it was murders. It's because on these same scrolls, I have took data of girls who's been almost kidnapped on the scrolls, shot at, killed. If you look over the United States, you see that we have a lot of black trans women who are losing their lives. So we developed a pitch to girls that are saying at the end of the day, be aware of your surroundings. My staff calls it FUBU, for us, by us, approach. So we know the concern of what you should be aware of. If I know I'm in a call with the John, and I know at the end of the day that he's moving kind of funny, that tells me to alert me that this money is not worth my life and I get out the car. So we um, put together an emergency evacuation plan, whereas though that we have designated areas that are done by outreach, Omar, who facilitates our outreach group to make sure that they get to wherever they need to get to safely. So if there's someone robbing them or if there's a pimp out there, if that's someone who wants to murder one of our girls, we step in. So as trauma is impacting the city, we're doing the body of work to make sure that our girls are safe when there's no one else to help us. Put simply, ignorance about the trans experience is at the root of transphobia. It's estimated that only one in three Americans know a transgender person in 2020, and those numbers are concentrated among younger folk and democratic-leaning Americans. Republicans, not so much. Ignorance, at best, creates apathy. But transphobia is far worse than just apathy. I do a majority of the heavy lifting. I 
and you might as well say the muscle of this organization and for me to constantly have my manhood up for debate <laughs> is a problem for me. I feel as though I shouldn't just be a man when it's convenient. I never consider myself a female, ever. When I was young, I was always told I had three strikes against me. I was black, I was a male, and I was gay. Now I have four strikes against me. I'm black, I was born male, but now I live my life as a female, with, with some transgender. You know, they say, oh, well, y'all trying to force us on kids. How can we force something that's already in the child? How can we force anything that's already in you? I've been feeling this way since I was five years old in kindergarten. I felt like a woman. I act as a woman, I look like a woman, and I speak like a woman. So you're not going to tell me I'm not a woman. For many LGBTQ kids, coming out to your family is what really kicks off a spiral of crisis. When I came out the closet, I got judged, I got beaten, I got whooped, I got... A lot of things happened to me because of who I was. And like that caused me to go into depression and anxiety and I wanted to commit suicide before I wanted to run away. My mom was on drugs, my father was on drugs. So I was going through a lot and I didn't have like nobody to sit down and talk to me. Like they used to put things in my head talking about, you love us, you don't care about us, you're confused, don't like, why is you like this? I was crying and telling them like, I can't help myself, I can't help how I feel. Like, I don't know what y'all want me to do. Like, I kept asking God, like, why is I'm this way? And, like, for a long time, I just didn't like who I was. No one else believed in me because of I was bi or I was gay or I was trans. I had got kicked out. I was living on the street. And I also was also in high school. So it was kind of hard going to school and getting kicked out at the same time. My name is Kata Kaka Carter. I was, like, the teenager at the age of 17 where my mother really didn't understand and refused to see, like, both sides of the story. So she had, um, I had gotten into an argument with her, my sister, my older brother, and my younger brother, and I was put out. And so from there, I just started, like, um, being in, like, this sense of survival mode. Like, I know I got to make my money so I can have somewhere to stay, a way to eat, the necessities of like clothing, because I know that my mother or anybody else wasn't going to support me. When she had put me out, that was like my first day of doing sex work, because I had went to this hotel with this man and he had paid me for um, sex work. You got a 16-year-old daughter and she trans, and you kicked her out the house, and then she outside in the street, and she doing cracking everything else with like her friends and stuff, and then she passed away because she committed an overdose just because you didn't accept her. You're gonna be heard about that. And a lot of parents, yes, a lot of parents don't recognize that until they gone. And that's what I had to tell my, my parents. I was like, you know what? If y'all don't accept me, I'm leaving. Y'all don't have to worry about me, I'm dying. And everything I got now is because of me. I worked hard for it. They didn't put a penny, not a dime, I didn't ask them for anything. And I still don't. Because I want to show them, don't matter like who I am, I'm still gonna be me. I'm still gonna be a hardworking young man. No, my family, they wasn't accepting, but they were accepting because I made them accept it. Sometimes you have to make them accept you. And I made them accept me, it's out of, it's out of me or, the, yeah. So if something happened to me, don't come into my friend or God forbid, Knock on wood, 
and crying, oh boohoo, and no, no, we're not having that. You want, you want to love me, you want to love me the right way. Without the safety net of family, many young LGBTQ kids find themselves in trouble very quickly with few options to provide for themselves. My personal thoughts are, you can't knock a person for what they do. If that's all that they know, if that's all that they were taught when they came out, some, some people were kicked out at, at early ages of 12 and 13 for being who they really are. So 12 and 13, what could you do? Your mind frame is, I want to be a trans woman. I want to be a trans man. There's nothing I can do because I need money to help me get to where I need to be at. So what, so what else can I do? Sell my body. You know, some girls can't get jobs because it's a look. You know, we call it realness. We call it realness. Some people can get through as being who they decided, you know, who they want to be, and some people can't. So you got a lot of people who, who really can't get through. They have to go to survival work. It's a lot of stuff that happens out there. To me, it's like no love like out there when you like in that mood of survival. Like you have to know like not every person that you come across is gonna be like your friend because you're just looked at as like, oh, I just wanna pay this person for like the pleasure it is. It was times that um, I was out there, and like a deep would give me the money, and I, um, I couldn't like. I didn't want to do it at some point, and then um, at some point I was like forced. So it was just like it's just crazy. Like it traumatizes you. It puts you through like a different state of mind. As a former um, sex worker. One thing that I connect with a lot of the people here is the struggle. Fortunately enough for myself, um, I found other ways to cope with the struggle of having to um, engage in survival sex work. Everyone is not always so strong mentally enough. Um, luckily, I was not one of the individuals that turn to drug use um, because most of the individuals that participate in survival sex work in our community have to end up turning to drugs because like they need something to like stabilize them and like keep them together because at the end of the day it's trauma every time you have to leave wherever you were today or, or check into a hotel room for a night to post the ad or go out on a stroll to give your body up to someone for at times as low as $40 because you're trying to make sure that you have enough money to make sure that you can feed yourself and have somewhere to stay the next day. Um, and that's one thing that we're trying to do. We're trying to get people off the streets. We're trying to get people into housing. We're trying to assist people and meet them where they are. At the end of the day, you know, some we know for some people it's harder to get out of survival sex work, but we are here to assist you the best way that we can and the and the best way that you would like us to. Violence against trans folks sadly often comes from individuals who are known to the victims of this horrible violence. It's, it's always the ones that my trans sisters turn down that they feel like want to come back and get revenge because they don't see us as people at all. 
out of the equation. Like my cousin Ariel said, we are a sickness, a disease to the outside world. Nobody sees us as people when in all reality we bleed red like everybody else. When it comes down to my community, we are the first targets um, in a lot of cases. Um, we have men that will, you know, want to have sex with the community or want to lay up with the community behind closed doors. But if their tea is clocked, um, then they want to get violent or they want to get handsy or, you know, if they're called out on it, then, you know, all of a sudden everything is our fault. Um, and now to save face, they have to go about getting rid of us. We are trans women, and it's still gonna be a thing of, oh, you, oh, oh, you dated this girl right here, and the guy will say, oh, no, 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 I didn't know Shorty was a man, I didn't know Shorty. So it's always so y'all are already misgendering us because we look like a woman, but you're misgendering us now because somebody found out. So it's all about somebody finding out. So now you're gonna misgender me and call me a man. You already knew what it was. You in this area, you already know what it is. So don't sit here and be like, oh, yeah, because Shorty a man, so now I'm about to take her life. I'm going to take her life because she's a man and my homeboy found out. Or I want to, you know, have sex with you, but the world says that I shouldn't. The world says that I can't. The world says that it's nasty, it's disgusting. You're an abomination. It's almost like a certain level of crazy to go from loving someone to having it in your head that you have to kill them. That you go from loving me to a few days later because your homeboys, your, your mom, your dad, and everybody else that you've been around has been talking bad about the situation. Now you want to kill me. Like, we didn't just have three months together, four months together, a year together. They couldn't tell that I was a trans woman. You told them. Or someone, you know, might have spooked my teeth to them, but, you know, up until then, everything was fine. Now they got in your head, and now I lose my life. But you know from the beginning, because I was honest with you. My life is lived as a woman. No, I might not be a cisgendered woman, but I am a woman. Whether a woman of trans experience, whether a woman of cisgendered, I am a woman. So, what can we do? How can we help? If people would, like, study on what gender dysphoria is and take the time to try to understand where a person came from with wanting to be, like, the opposite sex, it would help some just to like feel where somebody is coming from and be in their shoes for once. Uh, me personally, I want people to be open-minded, be more willing, be more accepting. I want people to know, okay, this, you got have, you have girls out here who are doing sex work, don't judge them. You know, you never judge a book by its cover until you open that book and read it. Because that same book you're judging could be the same book that you're going to need to open up and read one day. And that's all I have to say. If any of my fellow community members are listening right now, 
I just want you to know it might seem hard right now. It might seem like there's no other option, but you got this. You are strong. Keep your head up. And from Aya, here's all the info you need to go and support Baltimore Safe Haven right now. Well, you can reach us at www.baltimoresafehaven.org or you can get us at Cash App at Safe Haven or you can get us at PayPal at Baltimore Safe Haven. Again, we're located at 2117 North Charles Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21218. And I'm Aya Damons. So the way that you can impact our city, impact the violence, impact the trauma, and help us out as trans leaders in community is support us. Support the body of work that no one really sees. Help us. Thank you, guys. Much food for thought there, folks. I want to thank everybody at Baltimore Safe Haven for taking the time to speak with us. This is Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. We'll be back next Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Thanks for listening, folks. Stay safe.